and welcome to another episode of General Nerd Sense, the podcast from Shieldwall Productions, where we talk about anything and everything. Oh, generally nerdy, hence the name. And on this episode, we have myself, John. And Jacob. Now we are going to continue on with our general tabletop role-playing te- topic tear. Um, we've mentioned necromancy here and there in the past, both as a school of wizardry and, and surprisingly, cleric. Yeah. Just, uh, devotions. Strangely enough, but necromancy is generally seen as bad, which understandably, it's understandable, sure, given the things people choose to do with the practice of necromancy, but we think perhaps it's not all bad. Yeah. So we are here to defend necromancy. Yes, of course we are. Of course, Jacob is involved in defending necromancy. It, it I, before the podcast started, I said it's like asbestos. You know, it, you know, it's been, it's caused a lot of issues, but you know, it's still a useful resource. <sighs> Once again, on a podcast, Jacob has defended asbestos. <laughs> if That's you, literally a podcast description in one of our older podcasts. It just says Jacob defends asbestos. If you or a loved one has experienced mesothelioma. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. So in defense of necromancy. So what is necromancy, Jacob? Necromancy is magic that is used in the raising of undead and controlling dead things. Imbuing them with unlife. Yeah. Now what wizards and spellcasters and such necromancers choose to do with the art of ne- with the practice of necromancy usually tends to lean towards the uh, nefarious, to say the least. Yeah. Bring about a thousand years darkness and eternal darkness, eternal age of undead, of undeath. Rule the world with an army of undead henchmen, zombies, skeleton, skeletons, what have you. Yeah. Generally, these are bad things. Yes, we understand this. We're not defending the actions of big bad evil guys. Mm-hmm. We're defending the practice of necromancy as a thing. Because at the end of the day, necromancy is just another school of magic. Yeah. And my, my whole idea on it is necromancy and magic in general is a tool on you know how you decide to use said tools kind of determines whether or not you're good or bad now when we were talking about this a little bit before my scrolling you brought up pyromancy specifically fire yeah. magic and that how that you know you sure using it to say light a campfire or cook a meal is vastly different from using it to uh, cook an orphanage yeah yes this is inherently true but fire can be directed towards the towards nicer things like cooking and campfires and such but inherently it is a uh element of destruction yeah it is inherently a destructive property is inherently a destructive element so like yes there are schools of magic where they, schools of magic just are there are tools but sometimes tools are designed for a certain purpose mm-hmm. without delving too much into the politics of the, the more modern de- equivalent would be um Firearms. Guns are designed, yes, as a tool, but as a weapon. If a gun misses someone, misses its target, specifically if it's used for its intended purpose, which is to fire at someone who means to do you harm, and it misses, you don't hit your target, it has malfunctioned from its purpose. Yeah. From its inherent design purpose. In the same way, if you cast a fireball and miss your intended target, it has malfunctioned in its intended purpose. Yeah. Necromancy, on the other hand, is a subtle, weird, gray area. Because, in and of itself, it is not 
destructive. No, it is weirdly it's, kind of the opposite. Yeah, it you use it to restore life. In a fa- after a fashion. Yeah. It depends on the nature of the... Because there's little fiddly-biddly bits of subsects of necromancy. You know, is it just like an empty facade of life where, you know, it's an animated vessel, whatever, that kind of shambles along? Or have you just resur- basically resurrected something from the dead? They are, for all intents and purposes, they have died, but you have restored them to what they were prior to life, but they don't... Their inner, their inside bits don't necessarily continue to work. Or if they're a skeleton, you simply re-imbued uh, their original sentience and all their memories and mind, the conscious, whatever, but with a magically powered spooky skeleton body. Yeah. And doot, now, doot, motherfuckers. there's, with, with necromancy overall, I see it more as a, tra- a tragic magic. Ah, that rhymed. In, well done. In in the sense that with with most necromancers and stories you read, it usually begins in a somewhat tragic place. Right. They've accidentally led to someone's death, they've lost a family member, and they become mad with grief. They they want to bring them back. The grief turns the obsession of resurrecting, reclaiming that which was lost to death. I remember one character story I read um, that basically his character was a necromancer. And in his backstory, you know, he he was a child that was very astute with magic. And his, and his parents, you know, actually encouraged it because that's how That's he their lived. boy. Yeah, that's their boy. And he worked, he worked as a farmhand. And one day he was doing something and accidentally killed Pops. Oops. Mom kind of, you know, understanding, but, you know, doesn't want him around, sends him off to Magic Academy, right? Mm-hmm. Where he grows up to be a very good wizard. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has a sole purpose of resurrecting his father. So he gathers all these books, gathers his classmates, and they go out and they they try to raise a dead body. It sort of works, but he needs more work. So he continues to work, and it's at this point, you know, a group of basically the D&D equivalent to the Inquisition comes, and they start hearing that someone is using necromancy. Mm. So right as, you know, they get everything right, they resurrect his father and bring him back to life, completely reborn, like not rotted and decayed. Restored. The the Inquisition bursts in and kills his father again. <sighs> but there's And this is how supervillains are born. So he kind of vows to give up necromancy because, you know, second time I'm not gonna try a third. <laughs> Alright, I guess Pops is just supposed to be dead. <laughs> At least this time I didn't kill him. Yeah. Well <laughs> My conscience is clear. Alright, moving along. I mean, he kinda did. I mean, the first time, yes. He brought him back to life, restored him. Yeah. All was well. The Inquisition <laughs> killed him. No. But that reaches moral gray area. <laughs> yes. He 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 put Pops his... wouldn't have been killed again if he'd just been left dead. Yeah. So is it is it tragic or is it bad? I'd I'd argue it's more tragic, because you often see necromancers, even in forms of media like Dark Souls has a great necromancer. Sure. Um where he was playing with forces that be, and he ended up basically 
killing his family. And uh, when he resurrected them, he did it in such a way that they're now permanently attached to him. Oh. And now he's trying to, and, and they don't really have any personality left. So he's trying yeah. to, you know, spend the rest of time. And when, when you burst into the room, you see him looking through books, reading. and Fucking nerd. I mean, it's, I, I'd say it's a very slippery slope. Because on yes. one hand, you know, it's not inherently a bad magic. But there are some who would argue that it is inherently unnatural. That which is yeah. dead must remain dead. That is simply the law. That is simply the natural way. Mm -hmm. Necromancy is the counter argument, but we have the means so that that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. Yeah. And if it doesn't necessarily have to be the case, in a universe where magic is, why is it just accepted as a thing that exists? If we have the magical means to reverse death, does that then? Does the natural state of things, that which is dead and remains dead, still hold up if it can be still just as natural because magic is a natural part of that world, be reversed? I think it's a matter of uh, individual circumstance again. But again, I agree mm -hmm. with you. It's a slippery slope. Now, it's important to mention before we go any further, this isn't a debate. We've, picking, we've yeah. picked hills that we're going to fight and die on. Ha. Huh. <laughs> this is us just defending necromancy as an art together yeah. because um, it's reason. I mean, like, yeah, it is... Again, understandably, gotten quite a bad rap. Mm -hmm. like, it's generally not used for necessarily good purposes. Yeah. Because, yes, raising the dead, restoring the dead, it's all well and good. But that also means that if you can't find willing followers to support your pursuit for global world domination amongst the living, you can find a plethora of supporters in your local graveyard, in any graveyard you come across on your journeys. Yeah. Slippery slope. See, now it, it... But that really mostly just speaks as a, to a lack of charisma and being on the up and up on your part, Mr. Necromancer. Now, what I will say is I, I assume most people have had a campaign where, you know, a character dies and then one of the gods is like, you know what? You're, you're pretty amusing. I'm going to resurrect you. Do it again. At that point... <laughs> It's, it's necromancy. The god is literally bringing him back to life. Yes. In its own sort of way, yeah. I guess it would be considered necromancy rather than divine intervention, resurrection sort of thing. Sure, yeah, I'd, I'd allow that as a form of necromancy, sure. That one that is, strangely enough, generally much more accepted. Yeah. Because a deity has been like, no, no, no. That one's not done yet. So I think part of the reason we assume it is bad is because it's people trying to play God. Yes. Again, this is not an unjustified assumption or, or stereotype of necromancy as a bad thing. Yeah. It's got a deserved rep as the evil magic school. Mm -hmm. Because people... It, slippery slope. People use it for nefarious purposes. Yeah. I think also part of the reason it is rather taboo and frowned upon is there's... I'd, I'd argue several different types of, of necromancy. Right. right. There with is the idea of where, you know, the life that you, re, uh, like, restore in them comes from. Right. Are I'd you say, trading one life for another, one life that exists to res to reinstate one that has been extinguished? Or are you simply, use, are you simply using magical enchantment to resurrect and reanimate mm -hmm. the dead? Now, 
the for probably the most accepted form, it's finding the soul of the person that belonged to that body. And stuffing it back in. And stuffing it back in. Which most people are like, okay, yeah, I mean, that's it's their body. Like, they kind of look a little bit fucked up now, but they're alive. Mm-hmm. They're back. Right. After a fashion. Now, now, that's understandable. But it's also a long play, very complicated, and it's wizards, though mercurial and prone to whims and whimsies, like to be efficient more often than not. Yeah. That's generally not the most efficient way to reinstate life. It's much easier, it's more efficient, it's faster, to just like, well, you won't be missed, and I need this person alive again. So I'm going to make a little trade. Um... Sign here. What? I never mind. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So, and then there are the forms of necromancy where you sacrifice one and kind of trade vessels. Right. Which I would argue is like when, you know, the post office can't find where a package is supposed to be. So they just send it to some random person. Right. It, sure. Some person now gets a package Instead of nobody, but at the same time, that wasn't their package. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is the magical equivalent of it, I suppose. Yeah. And then there's the other much simpler and generally more nefarious form of where they just reanimate a corpse. They don't yeah. trade a life form for another. They just re- reanimate it with uh, into unthinking, mindless, non-sentient automaton. Which I kind of relate to, instead of, like, trying to find any sentient soul out there, they just kind of grabbed whatever soul material, and maybe it was, like, some part of a raccoon, part of a rabid dog, that hamster that you forgot to feed while you went on vacation, and 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 now you have this thing that's just kind of mindless and acts solely on whatever mishmash of instincts it has. Or whatever commands it is given. Yeah. Now, there's other necromancers who dabble in the more Frankenstein's line yeah, of thing, I... where they just um, help themselves to perfectly good bits in a graveyard that would otherwise be going to waste in the ground. And it's like, well, this bit doesn't belong to this other bit, but they're both reasonably f- comparably fresh, so I'll just stitch them all together and imbue them with life, and hey, what? It's good enough. Yeah. But it, that's definitely where it gets more nefarious. I'd say partially... Grave robbing is still grave robbing, Jacob. Yeah. There's I mean, no moral gray area there. Not not on that, but I'd say on, on the topic of necromancy, it seems the more effort and work you put in to try to get to that, like, upper echelon of, like, good necromancing, the closer you can get to, you know, you're trying to resurrect, is when it becomes more acceptable. Right. So long as you're not trading one life for another yeah because that's when the moral dubiousness kicks in yeah because how do you value weigh the value of one life over another based on which one you have the most need for that's when it gets into the moral dubiousness nature of it if you're not trading one life that is otherwise fine to reinstate that of which has ended and extinguish the one that was fine okay that's more acceptable form of necromancy, I'd argue. But if you're yeah. trading one for another, that's when you're getting towards kind of unquantifiable evil territory. You have to kill someone to trade their soul in the afterlife for the one that you want back. Yeah. And, I mean, at that point, like, there are still decent ways to go about it. Because if you're trading one life for another, you can always trade one of the 
the bad guys. You know, one of those... Uh... But again, how do you weigh the value of one soul yeah. over another? Because if it, they're an inherently bad person or bad guy or whatever, <laughs> like say, you know, condemned, condemned murderers, this person is not good. They've committed multiple murders. Would that be a equal trade for someone who is otherwise morally at least uh, slightly above sea level? Yeah. Like they hadn't killed anyone? <laughs> like maybe they petty theft or whatever at best. But like they hadn't killed anyone. Like is that... The, the equilibrium isn't quite there in terms of, I think, what whatever deity of the afterlife would warrant a fair trade. Yeah. At which point, it's like, okay, do you round up a bunch of the nefer- of murderers? And it's like, okay, cool. I'm going to trade the dozen of you for this one individual. And then we're getting to the murky grave. It's like, okay, but were these people condemned to die or were they just condemned to life in prison? Because if they're not condemned to die, well, you've just murdered several people. Yeah. <laughs> I... And I'm sure whoever you're bringing back will probably not be totally on board with yeah. the idea of, hey, I've just killed a dozen people to bring you back to life. It's like, mm, I don't think I like that trade. I mean, as long as it isn't on the emperor scale of 40K where you're just kind of throwing psychers into the grinder, <laughs> thousand a day. Like logs to a fire. You know, I I think personally as well is... Part of the reason we dislike necromancy is the the unnatural approach of people trying to play God. Sure. Because typically with life and death, we see it as an absolute. Yes. Because people have died since the dawn of man. And will continue to do so. Yeah. Until there is nothing left to die. Fighting that is like trying to swim upstream. It just... I mean, you can do that, Jacob. And you can do necromancy. Trying to fight that is like trying to fight the inexorable march of time. That's a better one. However, when magic comes into the play, when magic is a natural part of the universe, again, that... The laws get wonky. Yes, because people say, oh, death is a natural part of the... of just being. And Necromancer says, I have a dissenting opinion. (laughs) I disagree. And everyone's like, that's fucking weird. Which... I mean, it also doesn't help that necromancers tend to make their homes in less than pleasant places. Yeah. Caves, underground area, um, brooding castles, necropolises, graveyards. Like, they don't... They could do with a PR overhaul. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, that's... A puppy wouldn't go amiss. Not an undead puppy. Just a normal puppy. Now... And I feel that also plays into it quite a bit. The, like, people don't like death. They, you know, rotting, our our bodies are naturally against rotting smells because it it reminds us of death and decay. And also associated with um, disease and infection sort of thing. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Which is is completely understandable. We don't like looking at dead things because it sends off all the warning signals in our brain that say, I should stay the fuck away from that because I don't know what killed it. And then when we see people who do like looking at dead things from a not purely medical perspective, we say, fuck, because that's also something we should stay away from. Yeah. Funny enough, on a slight aside, um, with the CDC... Dead bodies don't actually cause that many diseases. Like, no, not inherently, but they attract things that do. They they 
I mean, they, rather they yes attract no. things that bear, that carry disease. Yeah. It's like rats do not inherently do not cause the bubonic plague, but they do serve as hosts for the fleas that carry it. Yeah. Corpses don't inherently cause plague per se, but you leave them to rot in the water supply. Well, people are going to get sick. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, you know, you have that psychological barrier of death is bad because I don't want to die. Right. That dead body is dead. It, like, it has all the appearances of death, but it is not dead. And that kind of Freaks. Shambling about. Shambling or, about. Or sometimes not. Walking about. Whatever. It yeah. has been reanimated. It is, a, it is clearly dead, but it is not behaving as such. This is unnatural to us, just from, to, even in a D&D perspective, to leave it living things, because that's it's not supposed to work that way. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, you also kind of lends... And also you're putting perfectly capable undertakers and gravekeepers out of a job! That's when you just have them prepare the bodies instead. Patch them up a bit. <laughs> it's like, yeah, this one, this one needs some work before it's good to be resurrected. There is a farming accident. <laughs> now we did our best, but listen, we can only do so much. And now that's you're also, the wizard here. That's that's also why I feel necromancers choose areas that don't have great PRs because nobody's already around them. Mm. It's kind of hard to start animating bodies in a normal city because. People will grab their pit, uh, pitchforks People and torches. People tend to panic yeah. about that sort of thing because, again, the negative light necromancy has been shined on. Yeah, shined in. There are, again, there are good ways to use necromancy. Um, there's a couple of instances that come to mind. One's the, the one that I like to tell, but I'll just remind everyone again, is the one of the necromancer like, "I'm going to use my powers for good. I'm going to go to these impoverished villages who have very large graveyards, but." otherwise poor quality of life teach them to resurrect their dead reanimate them to work the fields till the fields to improve their quality of life and he does this across the land found schools on the proper and responsible use of necromancy but never goes full lich because well that's just not natural he's just buying himself he just prolongs his life unnaturally sure to make sure that his life's work is done when he just when he decides it is he looks back across all the places that he's helped and they're all in ruins schools burned to the ground students and everyone killed and then the party of adventurers burst through his door and we've got you now evil necromancer he's like you guys completely didn't look at what was happening in those places i'm not like you're the monsters here i'm not i'm not even going to dignify you with a fight and dies mm -hmm. another one is local kind of shut in blacksmith your local blacksmith who you know kind of showed up one day he's like i'm good with a hammer and a forge just you know little podunk town like you know i just want to live quietly i'll be your town blacksmith during my keep and like that but you know my larger cut to himself word came that there was a army of bad things or large group of bad things headed to that town's way and we're gonna burn it to the ground and everyone's like oh shit what do we do and they everyone's kind of got the impression that this blacksmith has at least some sort of martial background because he's well, he's got, she's got that air about him. Yeah. It's like, you know, we understand you don't want to talk about your past, but if your past can help us in any way out of, in our current situation, please do it. And he's like, all right, give me until dawn, until tomorrow night, stay in your houses until I give the signal. Like, uh, okay. Gives the signal and, they all, and all the town people come out and there's an army of their deceased loved ones armed and kitted for war. 
because the blacksmith had toiled to make them the <laughs> arms and armor, because he's good with the hammer. But he's also good with magic. He's raised it, and he's like, your ancestors come to defend you one more time. Reporting for duty. And everyone's like, oh, fuck it, good enough. <laughs> yeah. That's a responsible way to use it, sure, and he was, a, he was reluctant to do so. Again, there are ways to use necromancy responsibly, but again, slippery slope dealio. Yeah. And I think what it kind of comes down to as well with necromancy is, at the end of the day, like, what is their level of sentience? Right. Because if they're sentient, like, look at Frankenstein. Yes. Kind of... Well, Frankenstein's monster. Frankenstein's monster, yes. That The distinction. Yes, it's important. People get uppity about it. Frankenstein's monster, in and of itself, is a good person. He tried his best. Like, if you look throughout the story, he really tried to just integrate with society and be normal. Right. Like, it's it's tragic is all hell. Like, right. You, you start to... Who's really the monster in that tale? Yeah. And it's us. It's, it's, it's people. We're, we're the monsters. Yeah. <laughs> and if you if you take a look at that, he, he's sentient. He's sentient. He's created a new life. Mm-hmm. But he couldn't stand to look at his own abhorrent creation. Right. So I think it also boils down to the necromancer's perspective. Now, if you have a necromancer's character who's like, yeah, when I die, don't disturb my body, it's kind of hypocritical. Right. It's just like... You've spent your life disturbing the bodies of the dead. Why can't we do the same to you? Now, if you have a necromancer... It's only fair. Now, if you have a necromancer who's like, yeah, you know, if I die, my body's fair game. It's kind of a little bit harder to be like, well, yeah, I mean... Fair is fair and all. Because... If they just accept those terms and conditions right out of the bed, like, yeah, when I'm dead, do whatever you want with my body. I don't care. Want to know why? I'm dead. But if they attack on, also, I don't want to be sent. I don't want my sentience returned. You can do whatever you want with my beat puppet. Just don't bring the brains back. Yeah. Because then I'll be a little upset. And that's, again, hypocritical. Yeah. On one hand, now, if they don't bring, try to bring back any sentience, that's not great. Yeah. You're using meat puppets, not re-imbuing sentience in any sort of meaningful way. Other than beyond being capable of accepting and uh, carrying out commands. On the other hand, is that any different than having, like, attack dogs or attack animals and being, like, a hound master? You don't have sentient creatures, but you're forcing non-sentient creatures to do your will. I mean, yeah, that is, you know, where do we draw the line here, right? Yeah. And if you're, you know, if... I guess the difference is because they're still alive naturally. But, you know, if you're a hound master who breeds more hounds, you're literally bringing that life into play using normal, natural means... Boning. ...to uh, to do your will. Mm. So, I mean, aren't you just boning in a different way? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Perhaps, but again... I think it comes down to what you're ultimately doing with the power. No. Again, the blacksmith who resurrected the dead to defend his adopted town, his new town, his new home. Yeah. Just one more time, and then he put them all back where he found them. (laughs) That's different than, cool, I have now got an army of the undead and plenty more fresh recruits because I've just won the battle. Mm -hmm. 
and I will continue that fresh recruits the more battles I win. Even, even if the battle's going ill, I can just spot recruit people on the spot. There's nothing really here stopping me. I don't see a band of merry heroes about. Sure, I'll make a play for the throne. Again, slippery slope. Yeah. And I think a lot of it, not even like how you use it, but what are your motivations and goals? Yeah. If you have a power-motivated character who wants to gain more power and lead, that's a lot... He that I'd say the necromancy in that case is more inclined to turn evil. Right, a la Nagash from Warhammer Fantasy. Yeah. He, him, he wanted to become the greatest of the necromancers to basically... He wanted to become the god of death so that he could hold dominion over all that would ever be because all will eventually die and enter his domain. Yeah. Not great. We also already know, and Gash was not great, mm -hmm. to say the least. There was no redeeming qualities about Nagash as a character, both before and after his death, and resurrection, and death, and subsequent resurrection. <laughs> now, on the other hand, if you have a character who actually just wants to right wrongs and try to help, necromancy could be used in a good means right if we're talking let's re, let's shift the focus yeah to as a party character say you want to be a necromancer but you're in a party of all good aligned characters whether it be lawful neutral or chaotic they're still good aligned right yeah and they're all gonna raise some eyebrows at the idea of a necromancer being amongst them Partic probably the cleric in particular yeah necromancy spell notwithstanding necromancy discipline notwithstanding whatever the argument could be listen the cleric can do their best. Potions can only do so much. One is probably gonna bite it. Because, let's be real, you have all of the self-preservation instincts of lemmings. <laughs> Highly, he heavily armed, well-trained lemmings. I'm here to step in when the cleric can't do enough to keep you moving. Yeah, that's a way to pitch it, as long as you stay on the up and up like that. Because yeah. the thing is, is, as a necromancer, you will then be kind of predisposed to be a specialist uh, to combat the undead. Because your, a lot of your spellwork and domain is very much geared towards commanding and having control over yeah. undead things. So if your party goes against undead things, sure, clerical has some sort of turn undead, whatever. Y but say you're being overrun, necromancer's like, I got this. And suddenly, every, all the undead critters, whatever, don't turn. They just stop fighting you. Yeah. Now, I'd also say with, you know, necromancy as a whole, for any character that comes into my campaign, I think I've mentioned this before, I, before I accept the necromancer, they have to argue why they think necromancy is go. good mm. and they have to explain to me their views on life and death uh -huh. because if, if you can argue that I know you can play the necromancer well now with the example of how to fit in with the party there's a lot of arguments you can make the morally up and up necromancer specifically yeah. you're saying for example um, I've heard the argument of there, there's a lot of philosophers that deal with death but for example, is is death just a lapse of consciousness? Are you dead because the you that's there is no longer awake and active and 
exists. Right. If so, then aren't don't we die every night and are reborn every morning? No. Can you prove that? Can the you from yesterday... Barring sleep apnea, Jacob, we don't... We don't stop breathing at night, and even then, we only do from those with those of you out there with people with sleep apnea only stop breathing for a wee bit, and this then they continue breathing. But but you see, the, the the point of this isn't what what do we consider life? Is life merely, you know, our vitals, our organs, yes, continuing to work, or is it you know, the consciousness therein? Because if you have someone who is brain dead, but all their bodily functions are continuing to work are they still alive and it's a medical conundrum that's kind of as well as ethical and moral yeah it's one that's a debate that continues to rage to this day every now and then so look into the arguments therein because you know you can come up with a bunch you know a bunch of convincing arguments based on what your party's views of life and death are sure because in that example you know can you adamantly prove that you are the same person that you were yesterday even though you're conscious you've had a lapse in consciousness we're getting into slightly more philosophical territory here because if you're the same person you were yesterday you haven't learned anything since yesterday therefore you haven't grown as a person well but this, I, this is wrong jacob this is a philosophical t uh, question though because good and bad are Arguments of philosophy, not of science. Yeah. You can't use science to prove something is good or bad, but you can use philosophy to argue whether or not it's morally good or morally bad. Yes, I suppose so. So, in, again, it's a character-by-character character basis. Exactly. We're talking in terms of a D&D or tabletop yeah. role-playing character here. So, <laughs> have the arguments prepared, because... If you don't, if you can't argue why your necromancer's views on death and why you think it's good are adequate Reversing enough, death. Then good. you're not probably going to role play a necromancer well. Depends on what your necromancer's motivations are. Because if you're not, like, I don't seek to dominate the world with undead minions. I just think it'd be really neat to have a pet T-Rex. Unfortunately, the, sl the long march of time has made that... Uh, impossible through any other means except for this particular school of magic. I just want to ride a skeletal T-Rex about. So what you're saying is Jurassic Park is necromancy. Yes, and there's an entire internet post about this. Yeah. And it's a very compelling argument. John, ha John Hammond is actually a necromancer. Mm -hmm. He's got the staff and everything. Now, interestingly enough... You can also argue, like, you know, extending your life for prolonged periods of time is necromancy. Because mm. necromancy is just extending something's life artificially. Liches, example of. I mean, I'd say necromancy is the uh, reversing of death rather than the prolonging of life. But if you're reversing death, aren't you prolonging their life unnaturally? No, you're renewing life. A life that has ended, you're renewing it, you're restoring it. If you're just prolonging a life, you're just prolonging your life through magical means, whatever. If you're subscribed to a magazine, you cut off subscription, and then you restore that subscription to magazine, 
you've extended the total amount of time you've subscribed to that magazine. I guess? Which <laughs> I'd, I'd argue is a question that we are even dealing with today because there's there's kind of this debate on whether or not we should extend people's lives to an insane artificial amount. So the technology to do that is totally there, but the funding isn't. Yeah. The technology to make humans functionally immortal, and the thing that actually gets in the way of that is that, fun fact viewers, or listeners, not viewers yet, listeners, um, if we could halt the deterioration of the cells, the human body's cells, so that we just stopped aging, you know, could restore them to whatever age we wanted to be to appear, um, this would still be a problem because the human brain is not biologically wired to handle existence for prolonged periods of time. By about 200 years, you'd be mad as a goddamn hatter. Because, as I'm sure some of our uh, older listeners would notice, as the years have gone on, don't they seem to be going by just a wee bit faster each birthday you have? Yes, that will continue as we grow older, so, you know, buckle up for one. And that will con that acceleration of time will continue on and on ad infinitum if you are physically immortal, and your brain just won't be able to handle it. One second, it'll be your 122nd birthday. The next, it'll be your 140th, the seemingly the next day, because your brain isn't wired to handle existing and processing the march of time like that. Now, if there is a way to, you, you if there is a way, there's um, there's theoretically the science to rewire the way the brain perceives time so that it stabilizes rather than continues to accelerate, but the funding's not there. And the moral question is, is it natural to do this? But again, this is a tabletop gaming podcast, Jacob. So, yeah, <laughs> it's it's a bit longer than two hundred years, if uh, because human brain has two point five petabytes or millions upon millions of gigabytes of storage i understand this but my, the yeah. point is after a certain amount of time you will just be exactly a gibbering idiot insane because your brain is just it can't process the passage of time like that or that's like, how we know that there aren't immortal vampires because we know them when we saw them yeah let's let's give the example in sci-fi you uh, know where they put you into stasis freeze the bubble of time around you sure yeah I mean, you, the you that is there is, is gone for an extended amount of time and through the stasis process when they, they're, they're basically resurrecting you. They slow down all your body's processes. I think it depends on the nature of the individual stasis we're talking about here. Most stasis kind of revolve around the idea that you basically slow human life to a point where you're almost dead, and then they transport you long distances, or... In some sci-fi, but yeah. in 40k, it is literally, they just freeze a bubble of time around you so that it doesn't pass from the moment it's frozen around you. You're frozen in your the stage you're in, in that bubble of time that's frozen around you. Mm -hmm. Time marches on around, uh, outside that bubble, but you're not, you're... It's just a bubble of time frozen out of time. Yeah. It's not everything's shut down, it's just you you specifically in this tube have been put on pause so that you can almost consider necromancy depending on what kind of stasis it is or another example let's look at like star trek teleportation 
or teleportation in general. Yes, I was just about to bring this up because this is actually a um, philosophical debate that has yet to reach any sort of meaningful conclusion. And the premise is, teleportation technology exists. You walk through one end of the teleporter, you walk out the other. However, when you walk into the first end of that teleporter, you, as you are as you walk into that, are disassembled and you effectively cease to be. A copy of you walks out the other end with all of your memories, have the full mem memory and sensation of all that, but it is a copy of you, an exact identical copy with all your memories, all your experiences, everything like that. It is effectively you, but a copy of you. Is that still you? Yeah. Which comes into the interesting area of... Is that necromancy? Yeah. You're no, literally... it's just a very roundabout sort of uh, 3D printing. But aren't you, at that point, taking somebody else's life to create another life? Um, and there are examples where the again, we, yeah. As I said, this is a philosophical bit that still has yet to come to any sort of meaningful conclusion. We will not reach one on this podcast, Jacob. I, I understand. <laughs> We're not that smart. <laughs> I like to think I am sometimes. I know you but do, I, but you're not. Nah. <laughs> I'm not either. Now there, there wasn't. I know me. There was an interesting video game that came out. I forget the name of it. It's a horror video game, but basically. You know, they can effectively keep you alive forever. And how they do that is they just swap your consciousness. Mm -hmm. Every time they do it, you have a 50% chance to stay in your body, your, your continuing consciousness. Ah. However, when you do it, it still creates an exact copy of you. Okay. Which leads to the conundrum of, you know... You, you have a 50% chance whether or not you will switch bodies. The you that is thinking right now. Uh-huh. Which, it, it brings up a lot of moral questions. And if... Again, Jacob. If, if you have the sentience... If, if you're, a, like, a necromancer who's trying to imbue sentience, it follows kind of the same area. Are you really, you know creating new sentience or are you still just are you creating new life or are you reinstating that which was yeah again i think it goes down to the matter of your reanimations are you simply are you dragging the sentience and consciousness and for lack of a better term soul from mm -hmm. the afterlife and stuffing it back into its original body or are you taking a body and animating it as a basically flesh automaton no real consciousness. There's no soul in it. You're just animating it by magical means as a extension of your will. Yeah. At the That's same... where the good necromancer, bad necromancer sort of thing comes in. Because you're reinstating the sentience. Yes, that's not... And that's not... Especially if it's presumably involuntary. But which is worse? Is it worse to artificially drag someone from beyond the grave back... Or, and, you know, force them to continue to live in life Depends. unwillingly. Or is it better to just create flash autonomous? I think if we remove the unwillingly part of that first bit, if you bring the soul and the sentience back and stuff them back in their meat suit, and like, hey, so, good news. I brought you back. If you want to be back. I'd like to have you back, but if you'd rather be not back again, 
I can make that happen too. It's up to you. But now, you're, but now I've given you a choice. But if you, you give them the choice, like, hey, cool. If you're having a, if you're partying up in the afterlife, you want to go back to that, coolsies. If you wanna, if you weren't quite done with this life, coolsies. You can have either one. I've just now given you a choice. Not necessarily a natural choice, but now this is entirely your decision. But now you're murdering someone. True. And, or, you are simply leaving them alone in an unsupervised room with a bunch of dangerous objects and just loudly looking the other way while they make their choice. And now that they've killed Now them, you've committed negligent homicide. And now that they've killed themselves, they aren't allowed back into that paradise of an afterlife because, <laughs> you know, their god might, uh... Frown on suicide. Yes, I see your point here. All right. It's a choice that isn't a choice. Fine. And now if you create a flesh automaton... You're not, you don't come into that moral conundrum. Sure. Both forms of necromancy come are... with their own moral hiccups. Exactly. <laughs> now, it, in, in topics of... I think it comes down to what your inherent intent is to do with the resurrected. No. Yeah. Because if you're not... If you're just resurrecting some bo some dusty old bones that no one like you know people have just all but forgotten about from some corner of the graveyard you know their headstone is withered away people don't even remember who it is quietly help yourself sure you have just robbed a grave of the bones that people forgot were even there because you needed an extra hand around the castle you're not raising an undead army okay that's not necessarily nefarious it's not great but you're not amassing an undead army to vie for the throne and subjugate the populace yeah now, I'd also say, if if you're going to be a good necromancer, there are some there are some rules. Yes, and the the best way to be an effective good necromancer, one, is you probably won't be able to bring their body back from a really super decayed, rotted state. No, so there are ways because that is the nightmare fuel, and and with nightmare fuel, people are going to assume you're evil. If, if you, Rightly so. And if you go along with the idea that, you know, you're, it's moral gray area, if you're assumed to be evil, you're probably... If it's moral gray area, it's probably not going to help your case as people can see gray matter. Yeah. <laughs> see what I did there? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I thought it was funny. It's I think not I'm bad. <laughs> I, I think I'm clever. So personally, the only one, but still counts. If you want to be a good, if if you want to appear to be a good necromancer, I I recommend you take some steps. One, mummification. Hmm. It's a little bit less smell. <laughs> it's a bit more of an involved process. It's it's a bit more involved. You usually have to use fresh bodies. Yes. And if you you know you do what they used to do with mummies and stuff them with herbs and stuff, they don't. The smell isn't really there. You just can't let them get wet. Right. Because, but they, they start to smell like, you know, a musty old book. Mm -hmm. And uh, from there. benefit, you can fuck with Abbott and Costello. Now, you don't want just, you know, a mummy walking around. Because mummies are still nightmare fuel and yes. scary. It's yes. a dead body. Yes. So, there's a series of Brendan Fraser movies explaining this. <laughs> so, what you got to do is you got to clothe them. 
Yes. You know, and put on some pants at least, and g- grab ye old medieval duct tape and duct tape <laughs> it all together. So you know they're they're kind of in like a hermetically sealed suit. Ah. Uh, so they they can't smell, and you know they're a little bit more weather resistant. <clears throat> yes. Um, I recommend masks or helmets so they can't see the face. Right. And you know you you just gotta get them where they they could pass for human. At a glance. They, at a distance. At, at a distance. And uh, you just have to ha- kind of have them walk about and animated in such a way where it's like... Leg con- injury. Convincing enough where, okay. They've got a leg injury. I'll allow it. I prefer the type of necromancer where he operates, but most people don't know that he's a necromancer. Hmm. Color me surprised. You know, it's like if if you're if you're an adventurer and you're carrying a bunch of weapons on you, it's better to hide them so people don't question you. Uh uh-huh. and they just think you're an upstanding member of the society they're in. Uh-huh. So it's the same thing, you know, you just hide your bodies. Uh, well the the wrinkle there, Jacob, is if you're hiding bodies and people find said hidden bodies, that implies some degree of nefarious deed being covered up out of guilt. Now, what you do at that point is uh, you play the Sergeant Schultz act of I know nothing, I hear nothing, I see nothing. We found seven bodies in your cellar. I know nothing, I see nothing. I don't think that's going to work, Jacob. You know, uh, there's only so much a natural 20 can do. And that's where you get into the doctor territory of oh, God. If you, if, if I knew we'd get to him, if if you find bodies, you put on a different mask, and you come into the city with a new medical license and say in a slightly different pitch, "Hi, my name is Doctor Number Two. <laughs> I'm not like the first doctor, which I know nothing of." I've never heard of before that I assume has been here before me. Yeah. Now, I'd also argue for necromancy. I'd also argue that it wouldn't on, that would only work with your GM, Jacob, because he wants to see where you're going with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with necromancy, it also, I think it depends whether or not you're taking the scientific approach or taking the magical approach. Because magical approach, you know, you're doing it because you can. The scientific approach, like with Dr. Frankenstein's case of he's trying... To progress science. Which you tend to give a little bit more leeway to science than, you know, I mean, our culture being an awful lot of torches and pitchforks. For there being a quote-unquote awful lot of leeway. I feel like an awful lot of leeway would involve less torches and pitchforks and angry peasants, Jacob. Dr. Frankenstein didn't get killed. Yes, but I feel like just leeway as a concept doesn't involve torches, pitchforks, and angry peasants. Every necromancer I heard of usually gets killed. I understand this, Jacob, but like, as a core, on a core conceptual level, leeway doesn't involve torches, pitchforks, and angry peasants. I'm not... Peasants get Jacob, angry- I'm not wrong here! Meow. I'm not. Meow. I'm not. Leeway usually involves, oh, carry on then, doctor. Not torches, pitchforks, and angry peasants. 
my point of this is that if you if you are to be a good a necromancer on the up and up, you must do so very carefully and very clearly. Take take the guise of like an alchemist. Sure, because alchemy, um, amongst you know trying to turn any material into gold, also a lot of alchemists were in the search of everlasting life. Yes, the, el the elusive elixir of life. So you know since you. People think you have this grand quest of wanting to find the elixir to make someone live forever instead of, you know, you're actually just using magic to resurrect the dead. <laughs> They're going to assume, okay, that was, you know, a trial and it, it had some bad side effects. One of them, it made them really wrinkly and dry. Yes, the Cellador's uh, gotten an awful lot of bangy and rattly. What's that? The sound of progress. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's it's hard to play a good necromancer. I've seen it done, yes. but at the same time, you have to be able to talk at philosophy your way out of a position. <laughs> yes, because at the end of the day, necromancy got a bad rap, very deservedly so. Yeah, but I feel like we've done an adequate job of shedding some light on that. It is, at if not... <sighs> Neutral can be used for better than nefarious purposes. Can be. Can be. Less, at the, fun, less fun, though. At the end of the day, I still hold the opinion that any magic is bad magic because yes. fucking psychers. Yes, I understand this, and I agree with this as well. Now, if I were to ever be a spellcaster and a necromancer, it's not a matter of who's going to let me, but who's going to stop me. Yeah. And the answer is probably the other party members, because, well, I feel like... Anyone who'd be part of a D&D &D party with me would probably know me better, would know me decently enough as a human to understand that I should not have the kind of powers that necromancy bestows. Yeah. Because it's all well and good to have stupid ambitions. I shouldn't have the undead means to pursue them. Yeah, you're not wrong. I am me. I did bring you on to make me look better as an awful human being in uh, make-believe worlds. But, you know, yeah. Anyway, that is in the, our defense of necromancy. We've done our best. Basically, use necromancy responsibly. We do what we can. Well, we do what we must because, because we, we can. can. Yes, necromancy, much like alcohol, responsibly. <laughs> yeah. The consequences for doing one of those in excess are far more dire than the other. Yeah, drinking is horrible for you. Yep, horrible. <laughs> awful, awful. But anyway, thank you all so very much for listening to yet another episode of General Nerd Sense. And if you've got uh, suggestions for future topics of either General Nerd Sense, Loose Brews, or Lower Cancel, head on over to our Facebook page, Shieldwall Productions at Facebook.com. Oh. Or hit us up on Twitter, the official SWP, whether or not you want to send me your arguments for why necromancy is good or bad, or, you know, just want to shoot the shit and talk. I'm more than happy to do that as well. Indeed, and as always, and just a reminder, good news, everyone, we do have merch now over on Teespring, teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash shield dash wall dash productions. We've got t-shirts, both men and women's, tank tops, both men and women's, a hoodie to keep you warm, phone cases for both iPhone and uh, Samsung, a couple of stickers, and of course a coffee mug for either coffee or painting. And yes, the first of many running joke shirts, we've got a Hey Patrick shirt. Hey, hey Patrick. Patrick. So, 
If you would like to show your pride as a proud shield bearer, you now have the means to do so with a shirt or whatever have you. But anyway, until next time, we shall catch you later. Doodles!